listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. My name is Nathan. Uh, Thank you for watching. Uh, It's an honor to spend a few moments with you talking about the Word of the Lord. This is the week of Easter, and all around the world, believers, local congregations are being intentional about gathering together, remembering what the Lord has done for us at Calvary and in His resurrection, and celebrating it. Um, It is the biggest event in, I I feel like, uh, Christian culture. Uh, Easter is, in in many ways, the biggest event. Um, I wanted to take a little while, and I wanted to approach it a little differently. Normally, when we talk about Easter, particularly us uh, pastors and teachers, uh, we use a lot of theological words like expiation and propitiation and um, uh, sanctification and redemption. And uh, after it's done, um, unless you have the appropriate education or you grew up in Sunday school or something like that, you kind of have uh, this sense of, well, that was a lot of words. I'm not exactly sure what, what any of them mean. So rather than giving you a primer for theological words, my goal today is to just have a real talk about Easter. I'm trying to imagine as though I was talking to someone who has not spent their whole life in church. They don't know all of these $5 theological words. They want to know what the big deal is, uh, what and why and, and the like. And so I want to try, if I can, to have a conversation as though I were speaking to an unchurched person or uh, even an unbeliever and try to explain to, uh, to modern ears um, why, why we are so boisterous and so, uh, how shall we say this, so intentional about celebrating on, on Easter. Well, the first thing I would say is this. For Christians, for believers in Jesus Christ, uh, the cross, the death, and the subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of the whole story. It's not really fair to say it's part of the story. It's kind of the whole story told over a three-day weekend. Um, Everything of value that needs to happen for the, the heart, for our reality, for our needs, it is compressed in that moment. And all of the saints and believers of old look forward to that moment. And all of the saints and believers after that look back to that moment. And together, we all of us look ahead to the next promise of God. You see, uh, this week of the passion where the Lord, He suffers a crime He did not commit. He suffers the weight of sin that He did not commit. And He is offered as a covering for all of us sinners. Um, It is, in many ways the first promise of what God would do. And it's given to the believer as a type of um, guarantee, a type of earnest money of what he said he would do later. So that's important. And that's why in the New Testament church, we don't just look back, we look ahead. And yes, Christ came once and he was met with hate. He's going to come again and he will not be uh, he will not be as lowly and as weak as once once he were. So 
The cross and the resurrection are the center of the story. A Bible without the cross, without the empty tomb, is like a Bible without a, without a climax to the story, without a, uh, an ending, uh, with no, as it were, completeness. A Bible without a solution. A Bible that lets you know of everything that's wrong, but hasn't fixed it. But if you read the scripture with the story of Calvary, with the story of the resurrection, with the empty tomb, now it's not just a story of the great problem. It's now the great solution uh, to all of our all of our problems. So I will try to explain it in uh, kind of real talk. No theological terminology. I'll try to go like this. I may throw something in, but I'll try to do it in a way that you understand what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Uh, number one, we had a death problem. All of humanity had a death problem. We all of us have a sense of eternity within. All of us feel as though our comprehension is more than the years of our lives. Uh, all of us have a sense of immortality within us. Uh, it, at worst, maybe just a longing and hunger for it. And at best, we are we live with this sense that we are eternal beings and we, we feel eternity deep uh, within us. And I would say for most people, they will be quick to admit that they feel as though there should some, be something more than just this life as they know it. This hunger, this spiritual wishing within them that there has to be something more than this. And there's many reasons why, but I would say one of the most powerful ones is just the sense that there's too much wonder. There's too much glory. There's too much, there's too many happy accidents for this to simply be a happy accident. And you can look at it, whether you're looking at astrophysics, whether you look at planetary formation, whether you're looking at the magic of life inside a cell, there are so many happy accidents that the odds of this being a happy accident seem incredibly small, just unbelievably small. There is this something within us that gives us a sense of the eternal and a, a wishing and a desire, and there's too much wonder for it to simply be uh, uh, an accident. But as near as we can tell through the senses of our flesh, we're given so many years, and then the end comes, and we die. Uh, as near as we can tell by the limits of our mortal mind. We're given so many years and we die. And yet within there is this witness, this mysterious sp spiritual witness within bidding us to see, to comprehend more. Now, death would be the problem that could not be defied if there had not been one who could defy it. God manifests in the flesh, God, seeing what we had made of the world, decides to intervene, not simply to show up with a report card, but to intervene and come take the test for himself and pass that test and give us the benefit of his success and his righteousness. Um, so Christ is born. He is a perfect man. Even his enemies find no fault in him. I don't mean in, he's perfect in the sense that he's aesthetically perfect. I mean in the sense of his spiritual creation and his uh, God-lived uh, righteousness. He is the righteous man. Adam failed at being who God intended him to be. 
But Jesus succeeded in being who God intended man to be. And so Christ, by his own power, because he is God in the flesh, defeats the curse of sin and overpowers the hold of death and then speaks to his followers, having appeared to them after his death and telling them in the same manner that you have seen me, you will be also filled with my spirit. The whole New Testament church is built upon this idea that Christ is an example. He is a, uh, uh, as it were, the first fruits, the Bible would say, our type of down payment. That if that same spirit that raised him from the grave dwell in you, then that same spirit will quicken your mortal body. Now, this would just be a hope unless we had some evidence that there was a divine power over death. As believers, we look at the life of Christ and we don't just see power over sin. He was all points sinless in spite of being tempted like we are. We see power over death. And so this problem at the core of the human experience, which is, you know, there's only so many years and then we pass. In Christ, the curse, the limit, the weight of death is removed because when Christ returns, our bodies will be quickened and we will dwell not as physical beings, but we will dwell as spiritual beings with him. This is the core of the Christian faith. Christ at Calvary, coming out of the tomb, uh, being resurrected, ascending. This is death. This is victory over death. Secondly, there is a victory over sin. Uh, It is in our nature to go our own way at all costs. It's in our nature not to submit to God's judgment, but to judge God. Talk to somebody who is an unbeliever. The first thing they will do, well, not the first thing. I mean, I don't know what they would do, but many of them very quickly will begin to judge God. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. It's in our nature. We have enough of divinity in our uh, divine gifting. God gave us, breathed the breath of life into us that we have that sense of the divine and we judge God as opposed to being judged by God. Well, this causes us to miss the mark. That's what sin is. I know we normally think of sin as great unrighteousness. Oh, you're a sinner. That means you did this and went there and it's terrible and tragic and ugly. Maybe, Uh, but sin's actually um, a few levels up from that. It's just to miss the mark. Um, We miss the mark hugely and we, as it were, Uh, took judgment into our own hands. Now, this is prefigured, this is symbolized in the Garden of Eden um, as the the tree of life and the tree of death, or let me say it in a a way more understood. There's the tree of life, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, And so out of this, this judging of God, this taking of justice in our own hand, as symbolized in the Garden, um, it... It produces separation, and without that connection, evidently, we are not very long-lived. We're separated from God. And so, uh, we had a death problem. Christ showed us victory over death. Secondly, we had a sin problem. Our nature was anti-God. Our nature was anti-Christ. That doesn't mean that we wanted to be demon worshipers. That just means, I will bow my knee to nothing. I will live how I think is right. I will do what is right in my own 
own eyes. That's the original problem. All the various types of sin that flow out of that, whether it's vanity, whether it's hatred and rage and even ugly, ugly things, murder and uh, any number of uh, quite surprising immoral activities. Um, all of that is just down. It's just downstream of that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not as though there's categories of sin. There's just going our own way. And then out of that flows our self-justification. Um, we had a sin problem in Christ at Calvary. He removes our sin. Uh, he gives us his righteousness. And that's what some of those big theological words are. Christ removing the sin from us, expiation. God giving us of his right. You, you see what I'm saying here. Um, so this is a death problem. This is a sin problem. Uh, and the third one, and there's, this could, we could go on. There's, there's a lot of uh, theology that is woven in this, in this uh, passion of the Lord, the, His death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, let me just give you one more, and three will be enough for, this, for the purposes of this tonight. Um, I, I like to call this, and again, I'm not using theological terminology here. I like to call this the problem of being or the problem of becoming. Uh, you might even call it, uh, is there any hope problem? <laughs> and what I mean by this, what I mean by calling it this is simply this. Is who I have been who I am destined to be? There's no fixing me. There's no changing me. There's no hope for me. And uh, yes, Christ forgave me for the stuff I did. And Christ made a way for me to be saved through his goodness. But is there any hope for me? to become? Is there any change that I can live out in my life? Or am I simply a prisoner of my nature? Um, this is uh, really an issue of whether or not um, our lives can begin to reflect uh, the work of God and the promises of God to us. Or is it simply uh, us, you know, being forgiven and uh, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to be done. Let me say it differently. Is my past destiny? Is all my errors destined to come around again? Uh, this is uh, very, very important because our lives are linear and they are progressive. Um, we are becoming every day. We are uh, pursuing something. We are walking in a certain way. And uh, without God in our, lives, in our life, we are always smaller than our problems. And so, no, there isn't, there isn't a whole lot of hope for us. Um, we're kind of stuck in our nature uh, we're like, you know, the shark in Finding Nemo who's trying to stop eating fish. But every time he smells blood, <laughs> he goes crazy. Uh, is this our fate? Is every time temptation come, do we, do we just go crazy? Or is there a real spiritual regeneration that's possible where I am, I, I am now turning my heart toward God and I'm seeking after him? I think this is somewhat what Jesus was trying to convey to the woman at the well, where she, not knowing what else to talk to this teacher of the law, this rabbi, this man of God, so to speak. So she immediately brings up what she knows. Well, you know, our fathers say we should go to this mountain and worship and your fathers say we should go to that mountain and worship. And it's almost as though if you read the text and you don't get lost in the, uh, how shall I say, the, the theological uh, contest of it. It's almost as though Jesus just shuts it down. And he says, look, they think this. 
you think this, you guys are, you guys are getting it wrong, what, the, what was given to the Jews. But a day is coming, and now is, when um, true worshipers will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. What's the difference? Both what she has mentioned, the, the Hebrew uh, way of worship and the Samaritan way of worship, both of these are systems. They're top-down systems. And if you're going to worship God in this system, you've got to do what this system says. And if you're going to worship God in this system, you've got to do what this worship says. And it's almost as though, to my ear, when I read it, it's, it's Jesus says, just stop, just stop. A day's coming when you're not going to have this top-down system. You're going to have a bottom-up desire from your heart. You're going to worship in spirit and truth. You're going to seek me. You're going to desire. You see, uh, it's not simply uh, top-down religion by law. But it's bottom up from the heart, pursuit with passion and worship. Uh, this is also shown in the Old Testament back to the two trees in the garden. Uh, one of them is law, so to speak, and one of them is spirit, so to speak. One of them is death, so to speak. One of them is life, so to speak. We can worship God in, um, <laughs> as it were, through, in the way of a tree of death where uh, the letter killeth. And we need to change to the Spirit, and the Spirit giveth life. And so, um, I, I, I want everyone who's made it this far in this Bible study to know this. Your past is not prologue, which is a fancy way of saying you're not destined to repeat the same errors. Christ did not just win a battle you couldn't fight. He won a battle you couldn't fight, and then He invited you through His promise to arise in spiritual newness of life and become a testimony to your world. Not just that He fixed everything, but that He fixed you. He didn't just fix everything for you. He fixed you. This is testimony. This is why the church worships and witness. Do you see? This is why as the church, we testify of what God did that we could never do. I could never pay that debt. It is so far beyond me that it's laughable for me to try to say, I paid that debt and God owes me salvation. It's just, it's absurd. But God has given me of His Spirit. And He didn't just do what I couldn't do. He gave me His presence. That's not just God paying the, the bill. That's God spending time with me to transform me into His image and into His nature. Into His nature, and so the church, all of us, has a twofold glory to God. On one hand, it's worship; on the other hand, it's witness. Your past is not prologue. You are not destined to repeat the same thing over and over and over and over. You are able, through the promises of God, to have transformation in your life. Ephesians 2.14 He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility between man and God. This dividing wall of hostility between man and God, between Humanity and humanity. He has come to be our peace. That allows His presence in our life. And so we celebrate because uh, this great week of remembrance. We celebrate because, first of all, the death problem has been dealt with. We mourn, yes, but, but not like people who, 
who have no hope. Uh, the sin problem has been taken care of. I could never be good enough to deserve salvation, but the Lord has arranged a righteousness swap, my rags for his riches. Finally, he hasn't left me down here to just repeat the same old thing over and over and over, uh, but he has, by his power and by his spirit, um, he has enabled me to stand with him in newness, newness of life. And so, uh, that's enough. Let's stop there. Lord, I pray you would be with us. I pray you would lead us. I pray for every individual watching this. Walk with them, O oh Lord. Let them know the power and the, the great love of God in their heart and in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. See you Sunday. It's going to be a great day. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.